Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is Joshua Kahn with the news. Domestic terrorist group, the militant Midwest weather people, have been reported nearby. Listeners, stay away from any place notorious for small talk regarding the elements, such as quaint diners, gas stations, and parks, as it is likely to draw their ire. Up next, this weekend's forecast. I'll never tell. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside Benjamin Graham. Hey, constant readers. And CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And today we are covering the second half of Firestarter, and we have Ben leading our discussion. Ben, take it away. All right, Firestarter, where we left off, our two main characters, Charlie and Andy McGee, have been captured by the evil government agency, The Shop. And we pick up almost five months later. Huge time skip. A lot has changed for our protagonists. I was shocked by the time jump, but then I was very happy about it when they explained mm-hmm. the nothing that happened in five months. <laughs> I, I think it's a it's a great idea. It's such a huge shift for everything that's happened so far in the book. It's jarring in a good way. Yeah, I 100% agree. Going into it, we start out with, we need to come up with a name. For this, this this very specific Stephen King move of the beginning of this uh, chapter starts with the chain of events that ended in such destruction and loss of life began with a summer storm and the failure of two generators that that uh, foreshadowing. Yeah, it just occurred to me that we totally have a word for it and I blocked it from my memory. I saw the smile creep across CM's face. I, I, I literally wiped the term delicious foreshadowing from my memory. Welcome back, delicious foreshadowing. Uh, it, it's fine, because I'm going to get to say daddy a lot this oh. episode. Oh, oh my God. Why? Yes. Say daddy. Uh, there are, the whole second half of this book is just daddy issues, the novel. It, that is very true. <laughs> anyway, so it's been six months since Charlie and Andy have been captured And the shop hasn't got shit. Which I love. The shop is the most fucking useless villains. (laughs) It it drives me insane. It's like they they should be the best villains because they are a government agency and and they're involved in other books, as we discussed, like The Stand and The Mist. But they are... Uh, as a group, they're um, Rita Repulsa's putties. <laughs> it's kind of nice for once, though, that this secret government agency who should know what they're doing are totally inept. It's like a little bit gratifying. <laughs> it, it really is. As we go into this, we start up with uh, Rainbird coming into the shop in orderly wi- orderly's whites. In serious commitment. Mm-hmm. Like he he bought a, a beater car. He parks in the employee in like the back employee lot. 
the his manager thinks he is just an orderly. He is dedicated to this bit. He wears an eye patch now. Yes. Rainbird's ruined face is that that's showing who he is on the inside as a person to everyone that sees him mm-hmm. because he's just, as Charlie kind of points out near the end of the book, he's just dead inside. And by having this ruined, a uh, scarred face, everyone that sees him is immediately like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> and so putting this eye patch on is kind of the most obvious metaphor sure he is hiding who he is from charlie Mm -hmm. very true and it's kind of working yeah unfortunately where is her intuition when it comes to him well she can't sense john Mm -hmm. later on in the book they they kind she kind of compares him there's one other person in her life that she's never been able to get a read on And it was this old man that her and her dad knew back in her free days who was a Holocaust survivor, who is another person who has experienced this extreme trauma. I guess that just like masks. It's interesting the difference, though, that on the one hand, the person who's experienced trauma and on the other, the person who's caused severe trauma, too. I mean, one person sort of like that evil he's he's also i mean he's also experienced trauma that that story of him in the pow camp Mm -hmm. isn't entirely untrue right let's go into what happens with the power okay everything is is business as usual they know a storm is coming in they people have talked about it they don't think it's going to be bad however the storm becomes way more brutal than they thought it was going to be lightning strikes the power station which causes the entire shop to black out Then the backup generators turn on, and because of a mechanical failure, they blow within the first minute of being on. So the entire shop is completely plunged into darkness. And Rainbird becomes the most genius improviser (laughs) in the world and realizes by pretending to be afraid of the dark, he can make himself sympathetic to Charlie. And that was a stroke of brilliance. And there are no windows or anything. Like, they are completely in the dark. And it took me a minute to realize that because I didn't... I thought there would be windows. I don't know why. I mean, she's powerful. But that seems so <laughs> so horrible to put a little girl in a room for five months with no windows. No, it is it is perfectly black. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we get to Andy's side. He, he describes, like, you think you know darkness. Like, mm-hmm. you, you think you've seen dark. But this was like the perfect darkness of a cave. And he like fumbles his way around his room, just bashing into stuff. But the most terrifying moment, because we're jumping back and forth between what Charlie's experiencing, what Andy's experience in this perfect darkness. And while Charlie's is reluctantly comforting Rainbird, because she says, she says before, giving into him even a little bit feels like it could be dangerous. Mm. Uh, so there's her instinct a little bit. Mm, see yeah. Uh, But then Andy, on the other hand, who is completely by himself, has the thought of the the building's on fire and they left me here to die, (laughs) which is horrifying. And he thinks that because he hasn't been able to do anything for five months. Mm -hmm. He's tried. He's genuinely tried to push. He's been trying to cooperate with them for some reason, and he just can't do it. So he thinks, I'm useless. Why would they... Come save me. And he's also pretty doped up. And he describes himself as like fat and dopey. Yeah, he's (laughs) he's hooked on Thorazine. Mm -hmm. He's been 
just uh, stoned and he, he's given up. He's mm-hmm. completely given up. Also, this segment uh, made me think of, uh, I, I cast Rainbird as, uh, what's his name? Anton Chigurh from yeah. uh, no, no Country, Country for Old Men. Andy is Chris Pratt. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Huh. Yeah. Yeah I, can, yeah, I couldn't not see Andy as Chris Pratt in this. In this I'd, I'd watch that remake. Right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so uh, in the dark, uh, Charlie is with Rainbird, and Rainbird uses this in, as an opportunity to get her to pity him by telling this story. And he tells her this story about how he was in Vietnam, and the Viet Cong captured him. And uh, they had, uh, Claymore Mine had blown off half of his face, and they just threw him in a hole where he was fed rotten meat and forced to shit in a corner for six months in this horrible story. And it's a lie. Kind of? I would suggest that the truth is worse. Maybe not. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the, the lie is bad, but the truth is... His face got blown off in Vietnam by his own yeah, the US by friendly fire. Yeah, yeah, the US troops, they were all doing peyote and wandering through the forest when they wandered into a an ambush set up by the other uh, by other American troops, which just shows how much the United States is fucked over <laughs> Rainbird. Yeah. Uh so like through this early part of the second half, I was so sympathetic as, as scary. And like his intentions are very clear. He is going to murder Charlie, but I was like, come on. Like he's, I don't think he's doing it because he's naturally evil. I think it's because he has been turned into this killing machine. Yeah. Essentially I, killing is all he knows. I would be interested to know who Rainbird was before the military. Mm-hmm. I would be very interested to know what that his growing up or whatever was like and how this turned him or was he really a bad person and this just made him worse. I would love a, a Rainbird prequel, but also <laughs> I would suggest it not be written by Stephen King. <laughs> I, I think because he tries to make his Native American like heritage a part of his character so much. King doesn't really say anything that interesting about it. he's just like he's an, he's an indian and it's like okay whereas he could King, speak to i think the experience you, yeah, yeah i think someone with that experience should write his sure. story no yeah uh when although, you were when you said you he was making his uh his intentions clear i thought you also meant cm's favorite intention where at the end he says he thinks he might be falling in love with her the uh, cm mm-hmm. remember last episode when you were like oh he's obsessed with her but not in a creepy way thank god and I laughed. <laughs> On the one hand, I feel like this book is trying to almost make us see him through Charlie's eyes because there are moments where you're temporarily sympathetic to him. Mm. And then he says something like, you know, oh, I have a right where I want her. Or he creepily smiles behind his hand. Or he says, I'm falling in love with an eight-year-old girl. And you're like, no. This is gross. So to your point, Ben, I think a lot of bad things happen to a lot of people. Some people coincidentally just are horrible and have something wrong with their brains. I don't know. And they end up 
becoming murderers or doing terrible things and other people get stronger for it. I think he's the first. Yeah, no, he's definitely a monster. Like he's he's a bad guy. But like yeah, no, I completely agree. He needs to back up off Charlie's dick, man. <laughs> this is another point where I still do not think it is a romantic love. It is he is not Okay, this sentence isn't, but later it kind of sounds like it might be a little bit. She was also described, the word woman has been used to describe her. She is eight, maybe nine. Like, let's be generous. She's nine. She's a child. And her long legs were described. Yeah. That's all Stephen King. There is. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) There's a part where he's in the kitchen. It's after he's gained her confidence and he like sees her and he does Describe her looks a little too much. And then there's and her like feet. There's a well, Quentin Tarantino moment. He's, well, no, okay. He's <laughs> she's standing in this pose that he specifically says is pre-erotic, which I think King is like, see, it's not sexual. No, it's so much no. worse. Putting the word pre in front of it is yeah, like saying doesn't no offense, make it better. But I'm not racist, but yeah. don't do it. <laughs> don't finish that sentence. Yeah. Uh <laughs> yes, I I agree. Um, That's all I have to say about the book. <laughs> okay, so uh, the this the lights go out and they're stuck in this darkness. And Rainbird gains the confidence of Charlie, but something important happens to Andy as well. In the six months that have gone by, he has completely lost the push. He has tried and tried, and he he just believes that it's gone. He's He's lost this thing that they were after him for in the first place. Until the, the darkness comes and he freaks out and he he gets into the bedroom and falls asleep and has a dream. I love King Dream sequences. Oh <laughs> King dreams awesome are always dream. amazing. So he has this dream that involves a woman who he used to help. And we know that he did motivational things and he helped business people have more confidence and, yeah. and move up in their in their careers. And he also helped people lose weight through a weight loss program where on the outside it appeared to be like this, you know, diet and exercise thing. But he, of course, pushed each woman to lose weight. And before we go on with the dream, can I just say it's mentioned in the first half of the book and explained in this. But I think it says so much about Andy's character that he has this amazing power, this power. He could walk into a bank and say, give me all your money and then forget my face. He could do so many incredibly powerful things with the push. And what does he do with it? He runs self-help seminars. Mm -hmm. That's the sweetest thing. (laughs) That is adorable. I love that. Yeah, so we get more detail about this one woman in particular who had participated in his weight loss program. And she'd gained weight and it was affecting her marriage. And she felt terrible about herself. And her main concern was just that she would she would eat and eat and she'd have all these snacks around all the time and even when she wasn't hungry. And so Andy pushed her so that she didn't feel like eating and snacking all the time. And she sticks out in his mind because a lot of his customers return at some point to, he says, basically brag about all their success. But this lady actually came back to thank him. So he's moving through these corridors, and he's passing all these weird rooms. And in one of them, Dr. Wainless is playing a huge accordion, and he has a sign around his neck that reads, 
There are none so blind as those who will not see. He looks into a room and there's just a woman floating and like ricocheting off the walls yeah. of a padded <laughs> cell. What the hell was that about? I I want to know who else they have in there. Like, I don't know. See, I was wondering that is like, is that literally another person in this facility or is it? A weird uh, allusion to the uh, to the echoes. I was thinking. I was thinking more of the ricochet. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, the kind of that same thing. It's like a manifestation of what he's capable of. Yeah. In another room, he sees Charlie, and she's talking to Long John Silver. You know, a dude with an eye patch. And Andy doesn't know who he is, but it makes him nervous. And then he comes across the pirate chest, and it's heavy, and he thinks. You know, he knows that he has to move it and he'll know where he needs to move it to when he sees it. And it's heavy and he realizes that it's not hurting or straining his muscles. And then he has this thought that keeps occurring and it is the brain is a muscle. So he eventually comes to a dead end and there's a disposal box on the wall. And this lady who he helped is waiting there and she tells him, you know, you helped me and now I'm going to help you. And he lifts the chest and he thinks he thinks that he's getting rid of the push. And he's like, what is this going to be like, this thing that I've had since college when it's gone? But what comes out instead is not the push. It's all these little blue pills. So he basically pushes himself, which <laughs> I didn't expect and is so cool. Did this make you guys think of misery of Paul being hooked on the drugs? A little bit. It, it kind of reminded me of that just... Just the way King writes about addiction, I guess. He, it's Yeah, it's a combination of, if there are two things that King just fucking is the master of, it's writing dreams and addiction. That's mm-hmm. my two favorite things. It, it really humanizes people with addiction because mm-hmm. it's easy sometimes when you get frustrated to forget, like, well, that's addiction. That's this, you know, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And his, the fact that his brain did it while he was sleeping because his his push was hiding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, super cool. And even more cool is that when he wakes up, he's this like just sad sack that has given up and said, this is my life now. But he wakes up and literally his first thought is I'm fucking out of here. Yep. <laughs> uh, which made me just cheer. And as the lights come back on, Rainbird has sat and listened to Charlie talk about everything for seven hours the yeah. lights have been out and she's fallen asleep on his arm and she he carries her to bed and she says, good night, daddy. And I shuddered <laughs> forever. <laughs> can I can I talk about the, the meeting what? with Hockstetter, Hockstetter, Cap and Rainbird, that meeting? Oh, first, Patrick Hockstetter. Anybody yeah. know that name? Yeah. He's uh, the the sociopath from it. Yeah. I thought oh. that was the same name. Uh, not the same guy, <laughs> not obviously, the same guy, but... because that guy gets eaten by weird flesh mosquitoes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's we, the s- same name. We should have mentioned, too, the conclusion of Rainbird and Charlie's conversation. I mean, he disclosed a lot, and then she disclosed a lot. And he ends up, or maybe this, no, he ends up telling her, you need to practice control, and you need to get what you need from them by giving and taking. Yeah, yeah, that, that's this kind of takes what the conversation over mm-hmm. the next several weeks. Yeah, he slowly brings it up, and she 
Which relents. leads to an interesting meeting. Right. Yeah. So a- after he has been telling her that she should give in and have that uh, make herself useful and get something out of it, they have a uh, meeting that's uh, Hawkstetter, Cap, and Rainbird. And Hawkstetter is furious about this entire thing and screams at Rainbird for getting involved and putting himself as the this, this centerpiece and convincing her that she can get something out of this. And Rainbird, super calm, totally fine, and basically says, you're lucky this happened. You, If you were so smart, you would have manufactured this accident on your own, and then we wouldn't be here. But tough shit, I am. Mm-hmm. The, the note that I made, Rainbird proceeds to explain the obvious for five pages. <laughs> then the following note, am I smarter than this book, or are these leaders this dumb? Ugh. They're so yes, dumb. They're really dumb. I think Cap is onto it though, and we find that out later, right? Mm-hmm. He figures it out at some point. Yeah, but there, they, there's no forethought at all. No, on not the a shop single side. thing. Well, and the thing he figures out is that they have another ace up their sleeve because now Rainbird and Charlie have a relationship. Mm-hmm. So when she gets to the point, which she will, and that's what Hawksetter is upset about, where she's like. I want to see my dad. I'm not doing this anymore. They can use use Rainbird against her. Exactly. Yes. But he says that, uh, and they're both and both of them look at each other like, "What could it be?" Yeah. Oh yeah, because he doesn't give away. What yeah. It is. It's like, like you I'm just fucking gonna let them out. figure like, it out. What the? Ha- this is the most <laughs> obvious thing in the world. Well, in, in the ones a child psychiatrist or just a psychiatrist. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, Hockstetter is not smart. <laughs> At least he's not practicing psychicology. That's very <laughs> true. So it, it's been three weeks since the blackout, and things are picking up. Uh, Rainbird has essentially slowly talked uh, Charlie into giving in, into participating in the tests. Uh, but before the first test happens, Andy goes on a walk with Dr. Pinchot. This is nuts you guys pinch it this the whole sequence with pinch it ends up being so fucking cool it is uh after the whole book of the echoes that oh i don't want to do an echo that would be really bad guys it's it's pretty bad yeah, it is. i, I kind of had like a vague idea where i thought i knew what it was and what would happen mm-hmm. but the the way that it is carried out yes it's just so tragically awesome (laughs) so well written it's delivered in just the right amount amount just bits and pieces and the way it escalates is crazy (laughs) andy is uh going on a walk with his doctor who's been in charge of his and he's been treatment hiding his pills so he is no longer doped Mm. up at this point and so he he decides today's the day I'm going to push him. They go out for a walk uh, along the duck pond that's on the grounds. And uh, Andy, just a light push. It's been months since he's pushed anyone, so he has it all built up again. He's at 100%. And he just pushes him a light push. It's not even anything major. He's just like, tell me about the roads around this compound. What goes where? And almost immediately... This guy's brain breaks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. The what I wrote down was the he gets him to talk about something being pretty. I don't remember what was pretty, but 
Uh, I don't even oh, think he the, gets him to. He just says it. Oh, he, he's talking about the area that they're mm-hmm. in. And he, he talks about that. It's very pretty. And then his brain makes the association from pretty to holes to his wife to a garbage disposal, which I thought at first that's hilarious <laughs> that the jump from wife to garbage disposal is made. But, oh, man, is it oh. not funny in the way I thought it would be? Well, the is this where does it happen later? It happens. The garbage disposal is described as vaginal. <laughs> yeah. I made that note. I don't <laughs> like that. I don't like it one bit. That comes up in a while. But at first, he's just like, he makes these weird statements. And then and he goes, uh-oh. Yep. And then goes back to his quarters. And he's like, hope that doesn't come back. It does. What's, what's so crazy about Andy recognizing that, though, is that he thinks about the things, the images, the associations that he was making. And he's like, yeah, it's, that's happened before. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's because there's something like dark, hidden, wrong mm-hmm. about the person. And it's like trying to come up. And then I have to fix it. I have to stop the echoes. Yeah. But he doesn't for him. <laughs> yeah, well, there was a guy before when he was doing these self-help seminars, there was a businessman who somehow got uh, the idea of this Edgar Allan Poe short story and Russian roulette yeah. stuck in his head. And since he sees Andy all the time, he keeps saying, he's like, I've been thinking about pulling my service revolver out and playing Russian roulette. And Andy's <laughs> just like, you never read that short story. And he goes, okay. <laughs> and it, it fixes whatever weird yeah. cross uh, cross connection there is in the brain, which I just, that's fascinating mm-hmm. to me that that's the way the brain works. Sometimes there are these weird connections that don't make any sense. And the echo just like solders them together in a really unhealthy way. Now, if only he'd made that dollar bill echo, none of this stuff would have happened. Problem solved. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he goes back and Pinchot, there, there's a couple of memos where Pinchot is like, we need three more weeks of testing. And whoever. Because Andy suggests that Because Andy him. pushes him to say, I want to stick around for three more weeks. I think it's Between Hockstar and Hockstar is like, yeah, if you want to. Waste your time, all right? You go well, for it. says only six to eight weeks. That's yeah. the max. He had argued against Hawksutter about mm-hmm. sending any. They're going to send him to Hawaii. And he's like, "You're the one who was like saying yeah. we're done. Now you okay? Fine, whatever, man." And uh, yeah, so Hawksutter's like it's six to eight weeks max, and that makes Pinshot just uh, well. Okay. Think about having sex with a garbage disposal. Okay. So this is, I just wrote crazy background character backstory time. (laughs) My favorite because we get one full, like three pages about Pincha, a character we have barely met. Barely. But now we know that in college, some uh, frat brothers made him clean up a kitchen and then jerk off together. But he was. But he was was dressed. Yeah, yeah. he was dressed in women's undergarments. So because women's clothes will make you crazy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a statement of fact? (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's just like it comes out of nowhere, and you go, "Oh, this is gonna go somewhere." Because the whole time he's like remembering this while staring deeply into the garbage disposal. Ben. 
the vaginal garbage ah. disposal. If I had to read it, you all have to hear it. <laughs> Should we talk about what happened to him or you want to come back it'll, to it? It'll come. <laughs> okay. It'll come back. Uh, because first we get uh, Charlie's first test. Which at first she walks into the room and they're like, okay, we're ready. And she goes, fuck you. Fuck you are. <laughs> because they, they're not listening to mm-hmm. her. They do not have the room set up in a safe way. They have, is it wood chips? Yeah. That's the mm-hmm. first one. Mm-hmm. Nothing is like insulated or protected. It's the, sitting on a, a wooden person. table. Yeah. yeah, there's a person right there. And most importantly, there's nothing for her to channel that energy into to burn it off like her father had taught her to do um, with the kitchen sink when she was a baby and then with the bathtub. And she's throws a, a rightful, rightfully throws a fit. Yeah. And so they kind of figure that out. They're like, okay, fine. So they craft like this better room with all the steel everything is metal yeah nothing there's six air conditioners <laughs> nothing that the, can burn the the guy that's monitoring her is wearing an asbestos suit yeah <laughs> um yeah and uh well a good for good reason do okay. you want to get burned alive or do you want cancer so it, it's a good thing all of these precautions are taken because the first test she just fucking wrecks shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just explodes the pile of wood chips and then evaporates an entire bathtub full of water. And then in the fog, just walks out. Just it, leaves her room. The, the room gets like up over 100 degrees. Yeah. The guy takes off. He gets freaked out. The guy in the suit in there with her who's doing all the readings and controlling the machines and leaves the door open. And she just walks off. And so everybody's, you know, jerking off about this. And Cap goes to get her. Yeah, and Hawkstetter's just like, yeah, we did it, we did it. And Rainbird's just staring. He's like, oh yeah, by the way, she left. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, Charlie just walks out. And I was like, what? Is this the escape? <laughs> nope. But the next chapter, she's just walking on the grounds to the stables with Rainbird. I want to ask you guys real quick, because we talked last episode, um, Josh, you had a point about her parents taught her to suppress not to control it and rainbird is sort of stepping into that role mm. creepily yeah and, who, who is her father her, who is her father when her father's not around? yeah encouraging rainbird. her to learn control excellent restraint going with father <laughs> and not daddy ben yeah i appreciate that <laughs> not while i'm drinking sorry <laughs> who who's Ooh. daddy when daddy ain't there no you're welcome <laughs> uh yeah and, and it kind of in a, a gross way proves my point if this had been her dad getting her to do these things from when she first was able to we wouldn't necessarily be in this situation i don't think yeah and even if we were rainbird wouldn't have had that angle like you need to show them because you need to practice control and she probably would have never cracked because i I really don't think she would have ever cracked. I think she's strong enough. And Rainbird did too, although I'm not in love with her. But <laughs> So it, it's the day after. Uh, there was a staff meeting where everyone was like freaking out and Rainbird just ran the meeting basically because yeah. he's the only one that seems to get what's going on. Uh, He's the only one that understands how to control Charlie. Well, he's not impressed by her power so much as he just wants to kill her at some point. So he could care less. I think he's impressed by her power. No, he's not. 
he's not going gaga over it the way that everyone else is yeah. because that's not his goal or his priority. That's not what he's concerned himself with. It's not the most important thing about Charlie. Her death is to him. Her pre-eroticism is. God. Ugh. <laughs> no. Aren't we all pre-erotic? Yeah. What? I'm, a, I'm always pre-erotic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Anyway. Just so- means I'm a, I'm a hop, skip, and a jump from being erotic at any moment. <laughs> Surprise erotic! <laughs> but if you're always pre-erotic, that means you're never erotic. <laughs> I'm always ready to be erotic. But and then I'm post-erotic. And then I'm back to pre-erotic. I'm done with this conversation. <laughs> Podcast it's, over. It's an erotic loop. Anyway, Charlie gets a horse named Necromancer, <laughs> which is so on the nose. Yeah. And uh, as she's petting the horse, John smiles and she sees it. And for the first time, she's like, the hell? Yeah, there's some, and she's been having dreams about riding a horse bareback and being in the woods, and she can hear other horses, and there's she, fire. The first time she has that dream, it is, it's after this scene coming up between Andy and Cap. Your brain looks very excited from here. It's I'm, very pre <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so uh, there, there's a short part where it's all the various shop members at home. And I was like, fuck this part. Why do these people (laughs) deserve, why do we need to learn about their home lives? Although it does very shortly give us one paragraph of Pinchett was at home pulling ladies underwear over his boner. And I'm like, why? (laughs) Come on. His massive boner. (laughs) It It was described as massive. (laughs) And walking to the garbage disposal. And I just wrote, oh, no. Hmm. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, uh, Cap has a talk with Rainbird about how dangerous Charlie is. At this point, it's all just so duh. Like, it's not really that important. That's why I was annoyed by it. Although John does uh, say that his plan is to kill Charlie with a single punch, which is nuts. Which if I recall, is also how her mom was killed. A single blow. Oh, yeah, that's how it's right. Described. Did Rainbird kill Vicky? Wouldn't be surprised. It's never said, but... It's not, and if, if he did, though, I'm surprised that he didn't reminisce about it or yeah. think Unless about it wasn't it that was... important to him. <sighs> I could see that, too, honestly. Uh, anyway, then Pitchett kills himself. He, he fists the vaginal disposal. And he does not take his fist out yeah, until he's it's, dead. <laughs> so, thank God they don't go into a lot of detail. Yeah. Hold but- on. Did you say fist the vaginal disposal? <laughs> yeah. That just caught up with me. Awful. <laughs> God. Yeah. Thankfully, they don't go into a lot of detail. Uh, yeah. But this is also the moment that leads to the escape. Yeah. It is the most important part because it gets andy in the room with cap the fuse is lit at that death uh because they they bring him up and they literally just walk andy into cap's office and leave him alone because they are so certain yeah he is yeah. useless yep, and his office done. is not bugged yeah because he's in charge yeah mm-hmm. and literally he says you know what we're sending you to maui and as he's reaching for the buzzer andy goes for it this whole section, this whole segment is so cool. 
Yeah. Because it's finally the comeuppance that Cap deserves. Because he, like, looks at Andy with such disdain, which very quickly turns into him whimpering and saying, no, don't, that that hurts. And you're like, fuck you. <laughs> uh, can we talk about Andy for a minute, though? Yes. When you said he looks at him with disdain, it reminded me, as we were going back and forth between him and Charlie, and we were seeing that contrast between how she was handling the situation and how he was, and he was sort of this pathetic, just beaten down nothing like he couldn't even muster Mm. energy to care about her where she was really Mm. to change his actions and he's still playing this part like this sappy just pitiful guy and i don't know it just made me feel a lot of like sympathy and a lot more Mm -hmm. respect for him yeah that he doesn't he has no ego for himself. Mm-mm, he said all. He, the all these people are just so openly uh, just disgusted hateful, by totally him. disgusted mm-hmm. by him. And he doesn't have the ego to say, hey, like, fuck you. He just yes, for he, Charlie. Yeah, he doesn't even stand up straighter. He just let yeah. he leans into it and lets them think that he's worthless and useless. All for Charlie. Yeah. Everything he does for the rest of the book is just Thinking of Charlie is what gets him through, mm-hmm. which I I love Andy. He's such a such an amazing character. So there's this scene where he he pushes Cap and he says he doesn't have a lot of time. He knows that he's in this room and if it takes too long, they're gonna suspect something. So all he gets, he gets Rainbird. Mm-hmm. Cap tells him everything about Rainbird, as angry as he is, uh like he could have done once again he could use the pu- the push to do so much he could have said bring rainbird here right now and then looked at rainbird and said your head exploded yeah yeah exactly <laughs> but he doesn't he has the patience and he pushes cap into taking him to pinchett's funeral t- the next day which is amazing because he knows they have alone time and he can get way more information mm-hmm. and after this meeting or i guess during this meeting Charlie is still in her her quarters. She's having a dream. This is why I wanted to talk about the dream here, because it is immediately after Andy has pushed for the first time in months. And every time he pushes, it is described as a black horse being let out in his head. Oh, damn. And as soon as this happens, Charlie is having a dream of writing Necromancer her black horse through a burning forest. Damn. And I wanted to know what the connection is. Is this her being some telepathic connection to Andy and him trying to warn her? I think whether he's doing it intentionally or not, yes, it is a connection and it is a warning because even in the first part when she was first taken, like after camp, mm-hmm. and he had to find her and he had to like pull over after checking out this car wash and try to have an intuition, like try to get that feeling to come. And he did. And then he'd also had that connection with his wife. He felt mm-hmm. on his fingers when it was happening to her, he felt her fingernails being pulled out. So I yeah. think I think they do they did all share this connection. Cause he and Vicky were talking to each other telepathically. Mm. So maybe he that was just another part of his power he just pushed something out to charlie well because we know that charlie for at the very least charlie has 
the same powers as mm-hmm. as Andy does in regards to the push, except for hers as a shove. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, it makes sense that she would have some of that. She'd carry some of that, too. And she. God, that's cool. I didn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. As she's riding her horse through the burning woods and she can hear the other horses and she's hoping that they're not dying. She sees a figure ahead of her, but she can't make out who it is. We know who it is. Mandy yeah. knows. But she it's for a second. She thinks that it's Andy. Uh, another connection of how she's, she's getting confused and conflating Rainbird with her dad. Which sucks. So we go into this next chapter end game, which it's not. <laughs> I was like yeah. going into this expecting like, Oh shit, here's here it goes. Because is it Firestarter yes. the last chapter? <laughs> yeah. Because this this is the setup. This is the setup mm-hmm. for the final confrontation. Uh Charlie goes in for what becomes the final test. And it's terrifying. Yeah. It's a cinder block wall mm-hmm. that she Increases the temperature to 7,000 degrees and it explodes. No, incorrect. Oh. The sensor, there's a heat sensor inside of this concrete uh, structure that increases to 7,000 degrees so fast you can only watch it in slow motion. And it says that's not, it doesn't stop at 7,000 because that's how hot it got. It stopped (laughs) because that's when the heat sensing device melted. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. My mistake. Yeah, she she sets cinder blocks on fire so quickly that you can only see it in slow motion. And then everyone's like, oh, she could blow up the world. Yeah, it's actually 30, uh, they say it's actually upwards of 30,000 degrees yeah. Fahrenheit. But they're not going to worry about degrees. that right now. <laughs> 7,000 degrees is approximately the uh, as hot as the edge of the Earth's core. Oh, Damn. She is almost five times hotter than that. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, And I, this is just a small thing. There's another memo from one of the technicians saying that we should stop. (laughs) (laughs) Because like they say that it's, it's so hot. And what's weirder is they say like her telemetry is not, she, her brain is not acting stressed there's, there's no, no energy nothing. like coming out of her body no yes. more calories being burned it's not taking anything out of her to That's do this the part yep. that i personally thought was the coolest yeah. Like, yeah. because Andy, it takes. she is yeah and she that that's just not how physics works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There has to be sure. an equal and opposite. You cannot create energy out of nothing. You can't, but she is. And that's scary. I and they wish say, we had more of that. Yes. Yes because They say, is she creating this or is it coming through her from somewhere else? Mm -hmm. Wish we had an answer to that question. And that's how we got the movie The Core. (laughs) What? (laughs) She takes all the energy from the core of the earth and it stops. And then all the birds fall out of the sky and pacemakers stop working. And uh, And that one guy has to go to the center of... I love end of the world movies. Ladies and gentlemen, this... Brings us to the first time anyone has referenced the movie The Core <laughs> in 20 years. <laughs> so after she is, she's demonstrated this, the ultimate demonstration of her powers, she says, I want to see my dad. 
and it's over. Yeah. Hockstetter nearly shits his pants because he's terrified of her. <laughs> yeah. They finally, after six months, they're finally like, oh, she's unstoppable. We, their, she's in charge. Their first reaction when she did that should have been to put a bullet through her brain. I mean, I'm glad they didn't. <laughs> or, uh, okay, you're free. Bye. <laughs> like, yeah, just just open the door. Just, yeah. We can't contain you. <laughs> exactly. What did they think they, they could do? They don't think ever. Ever. They're so nope. <laughs> incompetent. She says, like, after Hawkstead's like, I'll see what I can do. Charlie says, I just want to see my daddy. And I'm going to. I hope you hear me because I'm going to. <laughs> That's the point where you're like, yep. All right, uh, go <laughs> Whatever find, you go want, Empress. Yep. Like, you're, <laughs> you're in key charge. Card. Go now. anywhere you want. But she, they, they let her, she lets them lock her back up. And she starts to cry because she is unsure that she can stop lighting fires. Because I don't know that we've ever talked about this. She likes it. It feels good. Yeah. I think we alluded to it the, mm-hmm. the in the first half. But yeah, it's gotten so much more than that. Because through this testing, she's gotten more control. Not, not necessarily control over it. But she's gotten much more precise and much more powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and she does have more control because she is able to make it back off. Mm. Instead oh, of yeah, it's, a little bit. Yeah. It's easier to get it to back yeah. off than and, it was before. And she's before. trying. Before she's just like, nope, it's gone, and she's gone, and now she's trying actively trying to make it stop. Can I uh, talk about the funeral? Yes, for a moment, and the car ride with Cap, because this is one of my favorite moments in this book. They Andy goes to Pinchot's funeral, and he has this moment where he thinks about. Everything he's been through, everything Pinchot put him through, he sees Pinchot's wife and kids and knows that every single person there by now has to know how he was found and just how crazy and and everything that was. And Andy thinks to himself, in the end, Pinchot has proved to be just a little too small to hate. Like, he legitimately like this. <laughs> pathetic guy was such a nobody in this machine Mm -hmm. and for all this time he was like my god in control of my life and here he is just this nothing which i thought was really just brutal but awesome Mm -hmm. so they get back into cap's car or the, the limo and they are making their way back and andy again wastes no time he knows he's only got this car ride to get information and he says he asks cap if all of the arrangements are in order cap says yes and he says okay here's the thing you are going to change the flight we're going to leave wednesday instead of saturday you're going to bring charlie we're all going to get on this plane you'll find out where we are refueling and then you're going to make rainbird go to san diego you're going to send him across the country so he's not in the way and you're going to take this note to charlie to let her know what the plan is and then we are all getting out of here. So he unloads all of this information and sits back. And that's when he noticed that his numb spots are back and they're bigger. At which point I made the note, Andy will be 100% dead by the end of this book. Yeah. Without a doubt. <laughs> no, no way. But because the push works, Cap follows the whole plan. But his thoughts keep drifting to golf. 
wonder what that's about. Huh. Like, they don't try to hide it. <laughs> as he keeps pushing, he like l- keeps like flutter pushing, like little yeah. light pushes to keep Cap under it. And he's like, I'm absolutely sure I'm going to g- g- do an echo on this guy. And he just doesn't fucking care. So after uh, they get back from the funeral, Cap thinks, boy, I sure I'm having a productive day today. (laughs) Because he immediately calls and uh, arranges for the flight to be moved up and then thinks, you know what? I think I'm going to go visit Charlie. Uh, But the whole time he's acting real weird. I love when he, he walks up to his new receptionist and they have the drawer of their desk pulled out which was actually foreshadowed earlier in the book mm-hmm. uh because they say that they have to have a gun uh in their desk and it has to be within reach so it's just uh they have one of their drawers slightly pulled out and the whole time caps just like staring <laughs> directly at this drawer and the, when the reception is like what's up and he's like you should shut that they like to hide in dark places and yeah. then just wanders off <laughs> And he goes down to see Charlie and is acting drugged and old and asks her about, I hear your dad's good at golf. And she's like, (laughs) sure, I guess. And he hands her a note. And she recognizes the way he's acting. That's right. And it was such a weird comment. She's like, you know, I remember that happening with some of my dad's clients. Uh, So Cap gives her the note. And the note has the detailed plan. We're escaping Wednesday. You have to be at the stables at one. Also, don't trust Rainbird. He's one of the bad guys. And it breaks Charlie's heart. Yeah. Honestly, I get what he, like, why he would tell her. Terrible idea. Yes. Because he even in the note, he's like, I hope this doesn't upset you too much. But I know you and I know it will. Anyway, don't let him know. I, I, Just I don't he, tell her. I think he underestimated her relationship with Rainbird and just how be. far in he had gotten. I agree. But I think he also wanted to uh, end the discussion of like, they go to, to escape and she's like, no, my friend has to come or says goodbye. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. She's still a kid. So. That's true. She could have but, let it slip if she was saying goodbye. Yeah. And it upsets her so much that she sleep boils a toilet. Yep. <laughs> which is my favorite sentence that I've ever written. <laughs> Uh, she she sleepwalks and in her sleep just pushes the fire, the, her power, into her toilet and makes Hockstetter go, oh, fuck. Like, immediately is like, Hawk suggest- is the next day, Hockstetter is going to suggest we have to stop the test yep. now. Uh, but she wakes up angry and when Rainbird comes in, she's like, I'm going to go in my room. And that's what she used to do before he you know, got in and, mm-hmm. and became her friend. And so he knows something's up too. He immediately <laughs> figures out the whole plan sh- oh my using God. the so... worst computer interface <laughs> I have ever read. Did you understand uh, did you see what the, that was? It's the, the brand Deus Ex Macintosh. Dibs on the band name. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, he like goes into the computer. We didn't mention this that in the first half of the book, uh, when he goes to Cap, uh, saying, "Okay, I'm gonna help you out with Charlie, but I get to kill her." The 
a leverage he uses against Cap is that he hacked into their computer system and was like, I have all this evidence against the shop and I'll fucking send it out and you guys are fucked because I have no allegiance to the shop. I just want to kill this little girl. <laughs> so he's like a computer hacker, I, I guess. guess. Yeah. But also this, he gets on the computer and it's nonsense. It's, <laughs> he's like, computer, what's the probability that Andy McGee can still push? And the computer knows what that means, except for once when it doesn't because... Stephen King is like, no, it can't be that <laughs> no. that advanced. Yeah, it's like 0% chance he has his powers. And he's like, what are the odds that he got his powers back and pushed this guy into banging his yeah. disposal and has since brainwashed the head of the organization? And the computer's like, da 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 you got it. Yeah. Just a, a thumbs up I, emoji. I just wrote 90% probability. Sure, I guess. <laughs> Whatever. Either way, it's so unnecessary. It could have easily. We've we know that Rainbird is very smart and very good at reading situations. Yeah. This entire segment could have been Rainbird going, "Well, Andy got his powers back," and we would have been like, "Oh yeah, he knows." Yeah, he put it together. But no, nope. they have to have this horrible '80s computer. <laughs> this brings me to a quick question I have. After he does that, he logs under Cap's computer and cancels the flight, thus destroying the exit plan. But then it says he went to go see his lawyer. Yeah, that never comes back, does no. it? And here's what I, the uh, hypothesis I made that never came to be. Uh, he goes to a lawyer, presumably to make Charlie his beneficiary. I had this weird notion <sighs> that that somehow was going to see be related. I thought... That would have been nice. <laughs> I, I thought it was going to be because uh, early in the book, during that segment where he's like, Cap, I have all this evidence against you, and if you kill me, it'll get sent out anyway. I assumed he was going to his lawyer with all of that evidence to be like, when oh, okay. I'm dead, just fucking kill the shot. I because Rainbird says for a second, he thinks about letting Charlie and Andy get away. He, he thinks about it because he's like, It'll destroy the shop, and I don't care. But but he had to he had to be going to his lawyer to make that not happen because he does die, and that information never comes yeah, out. Yeah, it's it's just a weird red herring that Maybe doesn't mean anything. The lawyer also works for the shop. Could it's, ba, ba, ba. it is not addressed for the rest of the book, right. and we have given it more thought than the book. <laughs> That's has. fair. So uh, we now go into. The final, the real end game. And uh, my notes for the rest of the book read, oops, I forgot to take notes. <laughs> my because first note. Oh. it goes bonkers pretty quick. <laughs> my first note is Rainbird looks at Charlie with, quote, a lover's eye. No. Oh, I forgot. I did not notice that. I, yeah. Oof. I, I had a subfolder that said notes that'll hurt CM. <laughs> <laughs> I really, because like there is a lot of the the weird fatherly, he, he it is described, he's like, he looks at her in a fatherly way. He says it with a fatherly yeah, grin. Yeah, like a sexy father. But, <laughs> that's a weird time to say that. <laughs> uh, but CM, pre-erotic father. Oh, yeah. Post-erotic father. Oh. Pre-erotic daughter. I, I'm going to cut what this. What are we talking about? 
Oh my god! Welcome I, to our really disgusting I, taboo podcast. I have, <laughs> I've lost the thread of this conversation. So the day of of the escape comes, and Charlie just very casually says, "I want to go to the stables around one o'clock." And Cap, who is the the echo, is at full force. He is completely out of it. He's just like, yeah, fine, fine. I don't do you think care. she's ever asked to go to the stables precisely quarter to one? <laughs> yeah, that is. She does a lot of stuff that, like, she's apparently nine. no one's paying attention. <laughs> yeah. Because she literally, uh, Cap tells the agent that takes her to the uh, to the stables, just take her and leave her there. Wait, doesn't he also say, we're going to escape? Yeah. That's that was a little bit later, point. yeah. Uh, so Charlie goes to the stables, but not after Rainbird has already shown up. His plan is genius. It really is. <laughs> he he gets there. He pulls a gun on the guy who runs the stable and is like, everybody leave out the back. Don't come back. And then he locks all of the stalls to trap the horses because he knows she won't risk lighting the place on fire if it means all the horses are going to die. And then he Mm. takes up a hidden position. Charlie shows up. The guy that she's with is like real by the books is like, hey, I have the girl here who's here. And Rainbird is about to just shoot him in the chest because who the fuck cares when uh, Charlie burns this guy? He he she heats up his gun and just says, Get the fuck out of here, or I'll burn you to death. And do you remember bolts? Do you remember who that guy is? Don Jules, yeah, I believe the one who took I, out her dad at the lake house. Oh, I see. I knew I recognized the name, but yeah. I forgot who it was. So he bolts as Cap is going to get Andy, and this is the point where, as they're leaving, Andy has filled him in on their instructions. We're gonna get in your car. We're gonna go to the stables, pick up Charlie. And we're gonna get out of here. And as they're leaving the station, uh, a guy goes, so where, where are you headed off to? And Cap goes, we're going to the stables to get Charlie so we can all escape. <laughs> Which is hilarious. Yes, so good. And then uh, Andy's like, shit, 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 and pushes them to like give the details about where they're going. And like, ha kidding. And they arrive at the stables just in time to, they th- when they throw open the door, Charlie is on the ladder climbing her way up to Rainbird in the loft. Because he confronted her. She knows, she knows, she knows, he knows, she knows. All that mm-hmm. good stuff. Right. Exactly. And, and then we get the super-powered Mexican standoff. Rainbird saying, if either one of you uses your power on me, I will kill the other one. In hopes that that will make things not happen. Which I call bullshit I on. Yeah. Andy, yep. Andy could have just been like, don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't want to kill Charlie. Yeah, yeah, that's or me. Not yeah, that's not how it works. Uh, <laughs> Your head exploded. L- yeah, that's yeah. all he has to do. Luckily for us, uh, Cap thinks a hose is a snake <laughs> oh and God. freaks out, which I laughed so loud. I enjoyed that. Yeah, they they even set it up because Charlie's kind of freaking out. Uh, her power gets out a little bit. Yep, and she like forces it into a bucket, but it still gets out of control, and it like fuses this hose and it points out like in in this description it's just like and there's a hose there yeah and i'm like <laughs> wow they really set that hose up for the final <laughs> confrontation 
Yeah, Cap freaks out. And in the split second that Rainbird is distracted. Oh, so Andy, he could have said fucking anything. Any, so many things he could have he said. He could have said, die. Or sleep. Or sleep. Oh, God, would have yes. Been, and he would have fallen If and it died. ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> but no, he yells jump and pushes harder than he ever has. I knew this was coming this time, but the first time I read this book, I don't remember a lot of this book, but this scene, this whole scene in the stable is so burned into my memory because Andy's death killed me. I, it's set up throughout the whole book. It's so obvious that he's not going to survive. Right. Like this power has his death baked into it. But when he pushes his, he says he feels something give and it just ruined me. What yeah. did, what did you he, guys think of Andy? He death? literally like blows out the left side yeah. of his body. And his, his face. It's like he, he, he has a stroke. stroke. Yeah, yeah. His face is sagging and he falls and he can't get back up. And... Also, he gets shot in the neck. Which yes. Doesn't yeah, help. Rainbird, yeah. Rainbird <laughs> sure falls doesn't. and then he, his like, he fires off a shot and gets Andy. And then Charlie has to watch her father die. But <laughs> not before Rainbird has, but he won't just shoot at Charlie. He's got to make eye contact with her first, which is his A last mistake. mistake. <laughs> because he turns, she looks at him, he fires his gun, and she superheats the distance between them, one to the point that the bullet just disintegrates. disintegrates. But it also ripples the flesh and chars the bones straight through him. Terminator 2. Yes. Yep. That is the mm-hmm. image of there's a split second of just a bright light and I can see Rainbird just looking at her and then just skeleton. Yeah. Do you think he got what he was wanting? Oh, no, well, he died. So, kind of. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> and then Charlie proceeds to because uh, now the stable's on fire and she blows out one of the walls so that the horses can get out because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's her first priority. No, unfortunately for the horses. And then she runs over and has her final words with Andy. And he pulls her close and he says that she has to get out no matter what happens because they are going to try to kill her before they let her get out. And she needs to make it out so she can take this whole thing down so that they can never do this to anyone again. And then he And make away. it look like war. Like the it's... shop has been in a war. And what happens next is just that. Charlie lays waste to the shop. She she pushes Don Jules 40 feet, turning him into a fireball <laughs> into the duck pond. She sends a tendrils of fire out, burning agents. People get so panicked, they run trying to climb the electric fences and die. And they get attacked by the dogs. The dogs that run between them. She walks over and sees the building and she says, that's the building. They kept me captive. That's the building where John betrayed me. And then she fucking blows it up in a split second. And like that was a that's amazing. A typewriter flies across (laughs) the grounds and makes a crater. A hundred feet away. And she's using so much energy that she she finally tells it, back off, back off. And she channels all of it into the pond. And there is so much that when it's over, 
There are just a few small puddles left in the pond. She burned it all up. And is keeps saying, well, we also get a small section uh, from OJ. Yeah. The guy from the beginning of the Which book. Which I love that okay. section. That was, he, when it all starts, there's like two paragraphs of him in the break room in <laughs> the shop break room and the the alarms go off and he sits down and goes nah yep not me (laughs) nope and he fucking lives and gets away yeah that that was kind of a bummer climbs the fence and just pieces out they really set him up they named his gun and everything yeah and then all he does is run away and you never hear from him again (laughs) come on but uh charlie makes her way out and uh there, there's one moment I, I want to talk about real quick is that she climbs the fence and leaves. There's a woman who tried earlier, fell and broke her arm, who's still lying there. And the woman calls her a witch and says it's 100% her fault. And Charlie says, no, I didn't do this. You did this. This is your fault, which I 100% yeah. agree yeah. with. But there was this moment where she turns and walks away. And like a part of me was hoping that she would just fry that lady. <laughs> I, I feel you. <laughs> but like. I, in the end, I'm glad that she had had enough and walked yeah. away. I just thought that was a neat way to end that confrontation. And she she says she doesn't know where she starts leaving. And she says, I don't know where I'm going, but I know they'll never catch me again. And it this is the final bit of the contrast between Charlie and Rainbird, I think. That little interaction. Because both of them have been wronged. Both of them were mistreated. They were... They are what they are because the government fucked them over really bad. But whereas Rainbird said, life, life is hard and garbage, so I'm going to become a murder machine <laughs> that is suicidal because that's what he is. He's, yeah, he has a death absolutely. wish. But she, Charlie, she's been through all of this and she kills a lot of people. But she says, no, this isn't who I am. And she tells this woman, no, I'm not going to kill myself. She rejects that death wish that Rainbird had. It's like I said earlier. Yeah. People respond to things different ways. Exactly. Uh, I love it. And which brings us to more or less the epilogue, uh, this last chapter, chapter, which I don't know about you guys. Took way too long. Took way too long. Was one of the most disappointing endings. Well, let's sum it up then. Yeah. She makes her way where else? But to the Manders farm. Well, new Manders farm. <laughs> she destroyed the last one. And they very graciously welcome her, even Norma. Um, they take her in. They take care of her. They call the town doctor. They have him check her out. You know, she's dehydrated. She has an infection. She's been making her way to them, hitching rides and stuff. And so she recovers. And slowly but surely, the information gets out that they have this little girl in their home because the doctor tells his girlfriend and a couple months later, and then a couple of weeks later, she tells a friend. And then like five seconds later, that friend tells someone. <laughs> so we, we actually end, which I thought the very end was pretty cool. Charlie makes her way to the city because she is intending to, to out the shop and give her story. And she goes mm-hmm. to the library and I love libraries. So maybe that's why I like it. She's <laughs> like, I need, an unbiased, um, not in the pockets of any government or any politician. I need an honest paper. And the next thing we know, she's walking into the offices of the Rolling Stone, which is interesting because wasn't, weren't you saying the shop? The shop, was, they did an article yeah. about the shop in yeah. the Rolling so Stone. So we'll see how that goes. See, that's but. what I thought was weird. Like, 
how weird it was that the the book ends with just an ad for Rolling Stone <laughs> of King being like, yeah, that's the one good periodical, I guess. That's I don't the know. place. I like New Scientist, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. And and it ends with her getting to tell her story, but we don't know where it goes from there. Yeah, or if it goes anywhere. Exactly. Sure. So uh, I think he chose the Rolling Stones because it leaves it kind of in the air because they did do a piece on the shop. So either it's going to mm. be like, oh, we're familiar with them. Oh, we didn't know this, though. Or yeah. Well, oh, and we know yeah, she's going okay. to sh- physically show them her power. Mm-hmm. Like, so she's she's going to tell them everything. And that's really, really cool. And, and that is... Firestarter. Get to our ratings, shall we? Yeah. yeah. Well, I I did not really like this book that much. I had a lot of a lot of little problems that just, just took me out of chunks of it. Uh, and then there were some sections that went on too long. Like I said, the five pages. Am I smarter than this book? And then this long dragging epilogue. There were so many of those sections that just drug the whole story down for me. And I came into recording. Uh, thinking that this was going to be like a two for me. Uh, but when we talk about it, man, there's so much fun stuff to talk this about. This always happens. It does. <laughs> it always happens. And so I, uh, I've, I've got to round it up. I've got to give it a three. It's, it's, it was fun to talk about it. It wasn't so much fun to read it. And I will remember the highlights. Three yeah. What? But I would give it three blue chambray shirts. You know, I gotta, I gotta mostly agree. I remember loving this book, but the fact that I didn't remember any specifics <laughs> might have been, should have been a, a, an indicator of how I really feel. Um, it's, I feel like it's a book with a lot of cool ideas, and I would love to read more books set in the same world, uh, more books about. Lot six, maybe, or other people uh, with a going up against the shop, maybe something like that. But there's, I, I feel like I will not remember this book <laughs> in a month or two. Sure. Worth the read, definitely not as best. Three out of five blue chambray shirts. I ultimately think it's a fun little adventure action book. I have this sense from it that if I had read it when I was a teenager, it would have been more meaningful to me because there's so many yeah. cool elements in it that just hit you that way when you're that age. And so I'm like 35 reading this mm. and it's a little bit different. It's lost some of the magic that it would have had. But I did really like the relationship of Andy and Charlie, especially mm-hmm. considering the fact that I that seemed so absent in the first half of the book because they're on the run and everything's so frantic. So overall, I'm not going to go down as one of my favorites, but I did really enjoy it and enjoy talking to you guys about it. Five out of five blue chambray <laughs> shirts. No surprise there. <laughs> That's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode where we will be watching the movie Firestarter. For Benjamin Graham and CM Alexander, I'm Joshua Khan reminding you, it's a war. Make them know they've been in a war. <laughs> Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thanks for listening to Firestarter Part 2. Last episode, we talked about the shop cameos, and I missed one from a highly underrated little story called The Langoliers. According to StephenKingFandom.com, 
The shop is mentioned in this story when Bob Jenkins throws the shop's name into the hat as the time-displaced characters attempt to solve the mystery of their situation. If you haven't read and or seen The Langoliers, go pick it up. It's in Four Past Midnight. Overall ratings on this book, excluding yours truly, weren't very high. It may not be our favorite, but Firestarter has definitely influenced other amazing stuff like Stranger Things. Let us know how many blue chambray shirts you'd give it on our social media at Dairy Public Radio or email us at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. Huge thank you to everyone who's rated and reviewed us on iTunes. We wouldn't bug you about it if it didn't really make so much of a difference on the charts. It's the best way for other people to find us. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye. <laughs>